dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, we had a nice little week uh, break there for uh, Cattle U. Hope you all got to catch our uh, wonderful speakers, and you got to listen to one of our featured speakers, uh, Dr. Tara Rooney Barnhart um last in last week's episode and uh yeah that went that went pretty well kind of glad to have that under, under our belts and we're looking forward to 2021 when we can all be back in person together right Kayleen hopefully yeah yeah it, it's starting <laughs> to look uh starting to look like same same song second verse kind of thing because we started hearing that uh we're having some postponements of events uh, that are going to be happening in January and, and such. Uh, first off, National uh, Western Stock Show. That was some big news this last week, wasn't it? Yeah, they postponed the 115th edition to 2022. Well, and this was going to be the first year that they were going to be out at the new um, facilities, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. So we've got a several million dollars investment in brand new facilities. The the stockyards are um, different, I guess, a different location. And now we can't even have our first event to deal with that. And I know the people in the show world are are not happy about it, to say the least. But I think I I feel really bad for the vendors that go to these events, Kayleen. Uh, you know, the folks that are taking the professional photos, the folks that have the, the booth selling things, the food vendors, you know, those are folks that that's their, literally that's their harvest is for the 10 days that an event is without yeah. these, I don't know how they're going to survive. Um, a lot of them follow what I would call a circuit. I mean, they go to the the big stock shows down in Texas, they go to the National Western, they go to Louisville, they go to different places. Yeah. You know, everybody's hearts immediately think about the kids that have invested in their projects and the the families that have invested time and money into high dollar livestock to begin with. Uh, but that's also their family um, together in its time. That's what they choose to invest their money in. But I tell you what, um, what, what's going to happen to the, the guys that that's their business model. I don't know how they're going to make it, except they're going to have to start thinking differently. They're going to have to start thinking about other ways to make up the difference. And, you know, if you see some of those folks that you regularly stop at their booths at those shows and you see them online, you know, follow them, keep doing business online. Amazon's not the only place that you can order online folks. Yeah, especially with livestock, there's all kinds of places to order from online. Yeah. 
Now, be careful because today, Kayleen, I almost got caught up in a scam. <laughs> this is how my day is going. You know how early in the morning and you're, you're flipping through Facebook and you're like, hey, that's pretty cool. Um, I saw that some, uh, uh, what I thought was a major brand of boots was having an 80% off sale because it was closeout time. And I thought that surely can't be right, but it was a, it looked legit site looked legit. So I went there, Holy cow, you know, boots for $25 and this, that, and the other. And I thought, Oh, well, sure. We'll, we'll do that. Thankfully. Um, by the time my credit card got in, involved, my credit card company said, whoa, 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 this looks like a scam site. <laughs> and then I woke up after my coffee and realized, hey, 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 that's a scam site. So folks, moral of the story is if a major boot company looks like they're having a major sale, you know what? Maybe they aren't. Was it Ariat? Yes. I saw that a few months ago. I <clears throat> What? Maybe, I don't know what brought it on other than, you know, I'm always looking for cute shoes. So then boots. So maybe that's it, but holy buckets, Kayleen. And the only thing that struck me at, in my fog this morning before coffee was, I don't think progress is spelled that way. Also, uh, <laughs> they use some different spellings here and there, the English spellings versus the Americanized spellings. And I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. eh, that's not kosher. Yeah. And if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> so on the one hand, we're telling you, go find the vendors that you typically do business with, you know, the people that you trust in person, right? Most of them are still having to do stuff online, but be careful out there because you could be like me and have to call the credit card company and <laughs> cancel a card. So, <laughs> <laughs> And have your coffee before you do any online shopping. <laughs> I tell you what, you know, I, I might be a bit addicted to caffeine, Kayleen, and, and I know your thoughts on pumpkin spice, but I tell you, that stuff right there, that has some magical healing properties. <laughs> Maybe it went straight to your brain and caused poor decisions this morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. You know, other things that are, are changing and um, adjusting, we heard from the national, uh, the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. Big, big announcement there. They're moving to Texas, Kayleen. What's up with that? Yeah, the, they decided to move it to, to Arlington, which is at the new Texas Rangers baseball stadium. It's a brand new facility. They just opened it earlier this year, and it'll be the first major event inside of the stadium besides the baseball games. But Las Vegas told them, you know, we can't have the crowds that you guys have for – the rodeo and for cowboy Christmas. And so the NFR is moving at least for this year. I don't, I read somewhere that Las Vegas has a contract with them until 2024, but who knows how, what's going to happen there. Yeah. That's going to be a major hit to all of the, the, the casinos on the strip there in Vegas, all of the major tourist attractions. Have you ever been to the NFR Kayleen? No, I haven't. So I haven't been either, but I've been to Vegas in the last couple of years. And I tell you what, that place lives and dies by the tourism trade, obviously. Um, everything is is just geared towards the out-of-towners to come in and, you know, 
spend in excess and, and enjoy themselves. It is a playground for everybody. And I just, you know, you hear from, from friends and people that go to the NFR and that's a pretty hefty chunk of change that gets dropped there every year. Yeah. It's something you plan at least all year for to go and where you're going to spend your money at. And my sister and her husband went last year and she made the comment. She's like, I'm glad we went last year, which I know it's within driving distance now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I wonder, you know, cause because the actual performances and, and Slack and everything take up what, like 25% or 50% of your time there, right? So if they move Cowboy Christmas along with this, there's, you know, shopping opportunities there. But I wonder if, you know, the local economy is actually set up to handle the numbers of, of rodeo fans that will descend on the NFR. Maybe they are. Maybe, maybe this actually is a better idea because, you know, you might have more hotel space available and you might have less. Um, there's a lot that goes into these decisions, not just on a whim. And, and I think what people don't understand if they've never been involved in an event planning is you think, well, just find a location and everything will come together. That's not... <laughs> that's not how it works, Kayleen. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) Yeah. Especially 85 days out when they made the announcement from the, the event. I mean, and you also got to think, um, you also got to think that there's people that, uh, have already got events planned around that timeframe, weddings or, um, other events where they're going to need hotel rooms or they're going to need hotel facilities and, and that such. Um, I just, good luck. Good luck to everybody, you know, letterbuck, you know, <laughs> uh, get it done. Um, get the, the buckles awarded, get the cowboy Christmas under everybody's belts and, and hopefully they can do it safely. And there's no, um, glitches, you know, safety in and outside of the arena as well. Just, you know, take care of yourselves and each other, but that's going to be interesting. It moved once from Oklahoma City, right? It actually started in Dallas. They actually held the first few at, um, I believe, the Cotton Cotton Bowl, the old stadium oh. down there. It was there for a few years, then it went to Oklahoma City, and then I think in the 80s it moved from Oklahoma City to Vegas. Well, I learned something new today. Okay, then. <laughs> well, uh, today is September 17th, and it's Teach Ag Day, Kayleen. Yeah, I read that somewhere. I'm not quite sure which group is pushing it, but that's pretty neat that it's out there. Yeah. So uh, if you are listening to this and you're an FFA advisor or you're an FFA advisee, um, be sure to, to thank the people that have taught you education. Maybe they were your FFA advisors. Maybe they were your 4-H leaders. Maybe they were just your advisors at K-State or, or another land-grant university in College of Ag. Um, who, who would you think, Kayleen? Probably, you know, there was, was an extension agent that really put in a lot of effort here in Ford County when I was in high school with the livestock judging and more than likely I wouldn't have got any scholarships if it wouldn't have been for livestock judging. So I'd thank him and, you know, probably my advisor at Oklahoma State, uh, Shelly Sitton. She's probably the best one out there as far as ag communications goes. You know, I got to say, um, 
I did not take ag classes in high school. I wasn't an FFA, just a 4-H'er. Uh, but when I went up to K-State, there was one advisor who taught me, who, who convinced me to come over to ag communications, Dr. Larry Erpelding. And uh, that man had more patience than Job and the sweetest heart on the planet. So I'd, I'd say thanks, Dr. E, and hope we're doing good by you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see. Um, oh, last Monday. So we're back into doing 5Ks, Kayleen. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So over the whole coronavirus pandemic bubble, house, home, whatever, I kind of got out of a, a habit of doing my walking, you know, getting my steps in. And uh, some friends and I, we always sign up for the Bill Snyder 5K that's at the end of May. Well, they postponed it to the 7th of, of September because they they just, it was in the middle of the pandemic and they couldn't handle that, blah, blah, blah. Well, some friends and I, we were going to do it. We were going to go to Manhattan um, week before last and, and go and walk it. And we started talking amongst ourselves and the cases were starting to blossom in Manhattan and College students were back, and frankly, one of my friends has just gotten over COVID, and another two, they deal with, you know, immunocompromised people in their daily lives, and so we just said, yeah, let's just stay home and do it virtually. So we made our own 5K walking track, Kayleen, and uh, yeah, that that was a reminder of just how out of shape you can get in about four and a half months. <laughs> Are you still sore? <laughs> you know, I, I'm okay, uh, but I am starting to up my steps daily and try to get more and more in and try to get back into the rhythm of things because, you know, a little bit of exercise that does a body good and it does a mind good. I don't know if you get into a funk where you just don't feel right and nothing feels right and you're just mad or whatever get some exercise in, you know, a a 20 minute walk, a 15 minute walk, those type of things that actually has been shown and proven to uh, do wonders for your mental health. And so uh, last week we had a a lot of conversations around farmer mental health online. Folks get some exercise in, you know, it, it changes your worldview. You like to go and take walks with the boys, right? Yeah. Once in a while, but since they've been back in school, we haven't haven't done a whole lot of that, but I probably need to get back to it. I like to just go out and check the cows and ride the four-wheeler out there to see what's going on and take my time and not have to deal with anything else for 20 minutes. Yeah. So uh, have you thought about maybe getting a different horse, getting another horse instead of your (laughs) four-wheeler? Yeah, that's kind of been on the back burner. I mean, there's other stuff on the priority list right now, and hopefully someday. We actually have horses back at our house now. We The grass ran out down south where they were at, and so they're back at the house. At least we have horses at the house again. Okay. So um, are we? Is, is Spence doing some training again? Yeah, he's got a a few horses in that he's riding for people. And this year's kind of been people that have horses that need problems fixed. And I think he's 
ready to find some that haven't been touched and start them. He's he would rather prefer those horses that haven't been messed with a whole lot, and he can put the first couple of rides on them. Well, good. Well, yeah. So, folks, remember, you know, if you're if you're in the blues or you got you got just a a funk, you know, of of a mental thing, get outside, get back to nature, figure it out. Maybe it's gardening, maybe it's livestock, maybe it's just going for a walk around the neighborhood or or the section. Um, get outside and and see if it works. Who knows? I'm not a doctor. Kayleen's not a doctor, but uh, we take some medical advice every now and then. And, and folks say that getting outside and getting back in touch with things that you enjoy, that's good for anybody's mental outlook. So how are you folks doing out there? Drop us a line at HPJ talk at hpj.com and let us know or call us at 1-800-452-7171. And folks do us a favor and head on over to iTunes or Google or wherever you download your podcasts and go ahead and leave us a review. This week's episode will bring you the stories you might have missed in the September 14th print edition, and I will bring you the latest on the gray markets, and we'll have some final thoughts. Alta Seeds brings you this week's episode. Alta debuted its iGrowth sorghum line to the U.S. market in the first-ever Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to register for the second Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day to further showcase iGrowth at hpj.com slash sorghumfrontiers. Learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Well, folks, it's, it's pretty weather outside, and we hope that if you're getting outside and getting a walk-in, you take us along with you. And thanks for riding with us here on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is by Lacey Newland. Vacationers take road less traveled amid COVID-19. While the COVID-19 pandemic has forced many travelers to forego foreign tourist hubs and exotic beaches, it has also brought back the Clark W. Griswold idea of fun, old-fashioned family vacation, minus the amusement park, and allowed vacationers to discover the natural wonders and rich history the American outdoors has to offer. And like Jenny mentioned earlier, uh, fortunately, spending time outside just happens to be a remedy for coronavirus blues many have experienced during the lockdown. And according to Harvard Medical School, Lacey writes, exposure to the outdoors comes with several health benefits to humans. One such advantage, advantage is a boost in vitamin D, also referred to as the sunshine vitamin. Although most studies indicate vitamins play no role in disease fighting, vitamin D is considered an exception. And epidemiologists believe vitamin D has a protective property against many ailments, which would also include viruses such as COVID-19. Lacey caught up with Flying W Ranch in Sayre, Oklahoma, owner Burl Stricker. The working cattle ranch offers cabins, RV camping, horseback riding, hiking, fishing, and skeet shooting. And visitors can also participate in an excavation at the largest known buffalo kill site in the Southern Plains. Stricker has 
said this has been as busy a season ever, and part of it's because people are traveling in RVs. Lacey also spoke with Travis Duncan, public information officer with the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and he said in June 2019, more than 2 million people visited Colorado's 41 state parks. However, in June 2020, more than 3,224,000 visited the parks during the pandemic. So, Kayleen, uh, you didn't take the the family on a vacation or even a mini vacation this year, did you? Not unless you count the the rodeos where we left <laughs> late afternoon and came back at midnight or later. <laughs> I tell you what, I see more folks enjoying our national parks um, in, during this pandemic than I have in a long time. And and I gotta say. The national park system, the state park system, remember, those are our public lands. No other place on earth, no other country on earth has actually set aside these beautiful, vast swaths of natural wonders for the public use. Any other, any other place, those are, were the, only the realm of kings, only the realm of the wealthy and the elite that could purchase them. So places like Yellowstone or uh, the Badlands or uh, Yosemite, all of all of those national parks that we have, those are treasures that belong to all of us. That's amazing. Uh, I'm the biggest champion of the National Park Service, Kayleen, because not only do they preserve, but they also educate folks about the use of them. And a national parks vacation is actually quite affordable. You know, you can actually make it work if you watch your pennies and and you can have just as much of a fun experience, if not more, than standing in line for two hours for a ride at Disney World. I mean, and who wants to stand in line for two hours for a single ride? When and you couldn't pay me, pay me to stand in line with my kids at an amusement park. <laughs> <laughs> I avoid all carnivals and and rides at any event we're at, like the plague. <laughs> now I got to be careful because I have a friend whose family owns a small family-owned <laughs> carnival that travels. Okay, um, but I got to say, even their their family carnival, while they had some of their events get canceled, other places actually brought them in because it was a way that you could socially distance and have fun. You know, they can wipe down the rides after everybody gets off the the ride. Um, You don't have to stand on top of each other in line. You can actually get spread out a little bit. There's not a lot of crowding. Um, It worked worked really well for some locations. I got to say, some of the best memories I have as a kid, and even as an adult, happened going to places that were off the beaten path. And I think we're going to see a renaissance for those places. A buffalo kill site. My goodness. Have you ever been to one, Kayleen? No, but it sounds pretty interesting. I think if I remember right, my dad took us to one that's up in Nebraska. If I, if I remember along those lines, and I could be wrong. So if I am and you're a listener, please please call or write and let, let us know. But it's, it's kind of interesting because um, just the way that the indigenous population here in the United States, how they worked with the features of the land, they understood, um, you know, the, the, the behavior of a buffalo and buffalo herd, but they made every use out of every piece of material of the buffalo. Nothing was wasted. It's, it's a great educational thing. Um, 
you know, some of the best off the wall places like Carhenge in Nebraska. Have you been to Carhenge? Not in Nebraska, though. <laughs> now, I think I took you to Cadillac Ranch in Texas, haven't I? My husband and I went when we were on our honeymoon. We drove from Kansas, made a loop, went to New Mexico and down into Texas and come back. So that was one of our stops. Everybody's got to see these off the beaten path type places. Um, they're, they're fascinating. So good luck for everybody that's gone out there. And uh, thank you for enjoying the, the public places that we have. Good luck traveling in those RVs. Uh, Kayleen, did you ever travel in an RV or a camper? <laughs> the closest thing <laughs> was, was a horse trailer that had a living quarters in it. So it's technically, you know, a camper <laughs> since you slept in it. I mean, there was many, many trips with the, the horse trailer. <laughs> Didn't consider it a vacation. It was always, you were going to, going to a barrel race or rodeo somewhere, but you had the horses along. So. Well, the fella and I were kind of looking at campers just a little bit, just kind of, you know, doing some dreaming type thing. And, and he keeps bringing up these, you know, great finds. Hey, it's a 1977 Rambler Deluxe. Who is he? What's it? And I keep looking at him going, no, no, because I know exactly what that thing smells like. I, I can, I can smell it right now when you bring it up and it's not going to be something I want to sleep in. <laughs> Um, so moral of the story, good luck for you new RVers out there. Well, you know, folks, Lacey also had a story on the inside, successful intercropping of alfalfa and Bermuda grass. So as farmers and ranchers continue to strive for dynamic options in forage production, many across Texas, Georgia, Oklahoma, and South Carolina have discovered alfalfa can be the robin to Bermuda grass's Batman. John Jennings, professor and forage specialist at the University of Arkansas, said planting alfalfa into existing Bermuda grass could be a productive, versatile, and low-risk option. Jennings says, if you don't get a stand of alfalfa, you still have your stand of Bermuda grass. And he says, quote, if you have some high phosphorus and potassium soils from historic poultry litter or manure applications, it's a low fertilizer cost situation. Also, if you have a high phosphorus soil, growing alfalfa and Bermuda grass can reduce that over time because alfalfa will remove more phosphorus than most other forages, he says. Incorporating alfalfa also has the added benefit of growing a source of nitrogen that benefits other crops such as Bermuda grass. Some cooperative extension services state alfalfa and Bermuda grass result in forage that has 30 to 40 or more relative feed points than Bermuda grass alone. And studies have proven cattle gains can increase on this forage combination. Additionally, Bermuda grass could help alfalfa forage dry faster, retain more leaves, and minimize the ash matter from soil contamination. And then on top of all of that, Kayleen, when the alfalfa dies out in a few years, Bermuda grass will most likely be viable to reclaim the area. Jennings said studies have also shown replacing synthetic nitrogen with clovers or alfalfa and Bermuda grass pastures can increase stand counts by up to 50% by interseeding the crops. It's just one more way, I guess, Kayleen, where uh, two crops together um, actually has a benefit. It's, it's kind of like a hybrid vigor in cattle, right? Yeah, it seems like it's pretty impressive that you can increase the stand by that much by just adding something else to the, to the mix. 
On the opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier has a column this week, help your state fair with your gifts. And a letter to the editor comes from Oklahoma's Frank Lucas titled, Wheat Farmers Need Help as Congress Notes in a Letter to the Ag Secretary. And another letter to the editor comes from Robert McKnight Jr., a a rancher and also the president of the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association titled The Case for Climate Collaboration. Our contributor, David Murray, has a story about how farm incomes are holding steady for now and another on Taiwan lifting U.S. pork and beef import restrictions. And Kayleen has a story about Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue's comments at the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. And Lacey has a couple other stories in the issue. Uh, Carbon's correlation to soil health and what to consider when turning cattle out on wheat pasture. You can read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. And if you have a response to something you read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. I caught up with Belinda Burrier, a Maryland farmer and member of the United Soybean Board this week. Soybean processors have already started to release their first sets of 2021 contracts for high oleic soybeans, and farmers have a unique situation where there's more customers than supplies right now. There's about 9 billion pounds of annual potential oil demand that will require 16 million planted acres of high oleic soybeans by 2027. Burrier shared her thoughts about why farmers should take advantage of this situation in the current market in our interview. All right. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your operation and your involvement with the USB. I married into farming uh, 18 years ago. I didn't know anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was uh, actually, I've been on a crash course on learning uh, grain farming uh, we grow corn, wheat, soybeans, and alfalfa hay. And uh, uh, I got on the soybean board originally. My husband was going off, and you had to find your own replacement. Mm-hmm. So I went. I uh, took his spot on the board, which made me the first woman on the Maryland Soybean Board. And within a year, uh, my name was put forward to go on the United Soybean Board, and I, I was appointed to that. Uh, this is my sixth year mm-hmm. that I've been on the Soybean Board, and I'm on the executive committee. I'm uh, a target area coordinator for the oil. Okay. And uh, I love being on that board, uh, promoting soybeans in any way that I can. And uh, so let's see, uh, our farming operation, we own 102 acres here in Frederick County, Maryland. We farm about 1,200 acres uh, renting. Mm-hmm. And we've been growing soybeans each year that we've grown them. We started with 50 acres, and we increased it 
gradually as we went, and we were 100% uh, higher like soybeans last year. Okay. I love that they are creating a demand for the soybeans here in the United States, not only worldwide, but in the United States. So, so many uh, manufacturers and, and customers are wanting to source locally. So that's one of the reasons why I really like growing the soybeans. Now, they're a little bit different than regular soybeans that go in the commodity market. Can you tell me a little bit about what makes them so special? Well, um, uh, they were developed so that we could have, uh, there was a trans fat issue going on and soybeans lost market share that way. And so uh, the seed companies developed this high leg bean because it had lower trans fats and uh, lower hydrogenization. <laughs> I have trouble with that. Yeah. Um, John and Candace can help you out on the actual uh, numbers on the, the values, but uh, um, the soybeans were, the high leg soybeans were developed because they uh, had um, better uh, oil content as far as uh, when you use them in frying foods and such, they don't pick up an odd the oil doesn't pick up different flavors. It allows each item that's fried in its oil to retain their own flavor. And uh, a lot of, I don't know, specialty foods uh, enjoy the fact that you can taste their particular food. Mm -hmm. So vegetables or meat, weather. And uh, I don't know why I'm drawing blanks here. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Um, yeah, sometimes you get put on the spot, but that's okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, like uh, I, I've traveled around, and some of the the reasons that people want to change the to the higher leg oil is because it extended fry life, increased shelf life. Uh, the heat stability, the oil doesn't have to be changed so often, which in turn saves them money in the long run as far as um, institutions, restaurants, that kind of frying. Um, it's ideal for uh, sautéing. And, um, for instance, the snack foods have really started picking up on using higher leg oil because of their, their uh, the way the oil works with the, end product on snack foods. So um, different companies have picked up on switching over and they've been running uh, test samples for like the last three months or whatever. I forget the exact timing. But um, the oil is fat-free and it's a direct substitute for the partially hydrogenated oil. Okay. <laughs> So the snack food industry really wants it because uh, uh, FDA has given them uh, the health food claims of uh, citing that the oil reduced the risk of coronary heart disease. Mm -hmm. I think that they're allowed to put that on the, in, on the label now, but you might want to double check with okay. Candace. Okay. Is there any difference in growing these compared to traditional varieties? Is there any challenges? No. And in fact, 
the reason why we liked the idea when they first came out was that there was no management. Nothing was different on the management. Um, you put them in, you plant them the same time as conventional soybeans. Um, you run over them as far as uh, putting uh, fungicide on them for uh, taking care of uh where we live, it's kind of a dip in the valley, and so we have to worry about uh, mold and mildew on getting on our beans. So mm-hmm. we spray a fungicide to repel that from landing on the soybeans, which ex- extends our growing season, actually, and um, allows the pods to fill a little better. Yeah. And uh, uh, as far as fertilizer goes, we we use the same fertilizer treatment, the same pesticide treatment. They, the only thing that's different is you have to keep them separate. Mm-hmm. So what we do when when we happen to grow both hyaluronic or and or the commodity bean, we would harvest the hyaluronic ones first so that we could store them in in our um, bin until the mill calls for them. Because generally you can't take them straight to the mill. You have to wait until you get a call to deliver them. Okay. So with the way the markets are right now and, you know, growers are making choices what they're going to plant next year, maybe buying seed before the end of the year, why would it be important for someone to consider you know, growing this kind of variety of soybean? Well, the definite benefit is that there is a um, premium that that uh, the farmers would get for growing these. And uh, the yield's the same, so they're not losing anything as far as yield goes, but they're adding this premium. And uh, uh, we're starting to get a higher demand for for the higher leg beans. So you're growing these soybeans in a sustainable manner and and uh, the market is demanding the soybeans be grown in a sustainable manner. And so uh, we're working on trying to ramp the, the varieties up for the snack food market and uh, salads and dressings, that kind of market. Mm-hmm. So it... With the premium, it it makes it nicer for the farmer as far as the the bottom line goes. They're they're trying to figure out another way to diversify and to build a better market for their soybeans. Mm-hmm. And if, if we can create that demand for the farmer, U.S. farmer, it takes a a problem out of the out of it the equation for the farmer because they can get that premium it builds on their bottom line and it's really no extra management that they have to do to get that market okay what about your marketing strategies i mean you just like around here in kansas farmers will a large part of the time will just you know harvest their crop and haul it to the elevator what do you guys do as far as you know, marketing, do you have stuff planned before harvest? Do you, do you just, what do you guys do? Well, uh, with uh, Purdue, 
is our largest buyer of the higher leg soybean. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we actually pre-contract with them and uh, check to make sure our basis is in good good condition. And we'll go ahead and pre-contract. And um, sometimes we can contract it to deliver straight out of the field. And sometimes we have to put it in the bin and hold because you don't always get the contracts uh, you don't know what your total yield's going to be, so you let a little bit amount float. And we try to hold out for even better uh, market value in the end as far as when they call for more, mm -hmm. more soybeans to be delivered. So, yeah, we pre-contract majority of their beans. Okay. I want to say 60%. Okay. And you guys don't have any, any issues finding a place for these to go? No. Um, uh, Purdue is pretty reliable as far as the delivery point. Mm -hmm. And they, they at first, when uh, High Legs first came on, they had uh, overabundance of the soybeans. But now they have created the demand also. And actually, uh, Purdue has increased their crust facility, so it makes it so that they can handle more of the soybeans and, and get the oil out to the end user. And, of course, they're using the, the higher leg beans for their feeding all their poultry industry that they have. It's, it's a huge operation here on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the oil that they've crushed, they they get that to the snack food industry and uh, different uh, food commodity groups. Okay. Is there anything else that you can tell me about about this, the Hyalic, and why you know why why farmers should care about it? Farmers should definitely care about because um, uh, we have increased the the demand and um, we're working on improving every every aspect of the soybean trying to uh, uh, get more industrial uses out there uh, the soybean is available in 13 states here on the east coast and out in minnesota nebraska and illinois indiana you know out your way and uh, the advantage is that we have another market to diversify our incomes and, and try to to promote it here in the U.S. Okay. Well, Belinda, I don't have any more questions if you don't have any more to add. Is there anything you think else I should know? I guess to refer to the uh, ussoy.com so that uh, um, different farmers can go ahead and see where our outreach is and be able to uh, keep their in incomes diversified. Farmers can also, to create more demand, is call their elevators and say, hey, we want you to deal in these higher leg soybeans because we hear that the demand is growing for them and uh, we've increased uh, new markets as far as industry goes and uh, the new asphalt that's getting getting ready to be commercialized and of course we have the concrete sealers and the and the shoe industry that's putting more of the high leg beans and oil into their soles creating a, a better rubber as far as eliminating petroleum and that kind of stuff okay 
I didn't I didn't know about that stuff with the asphalt and the concrete and the, and even the shoes. So I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, and um, the um, they have um, I forget what the grade is, but the uh, automobile oil that um, I think it's ten thirty and and. 1020 or something like that, 10W30 or whatever. But um, uh, that's also hit the market, and Amazon carries that. Mm-hmm. It's such a huge market that we are, have been increasing. And uh, a new one that I just saw was uh, the backing on carpeting. For instance, uh, American Lung Association has changed their, their uh, carpet set enter their buildings and have gone with the soy-based backing because uh, the petroleum actually releases a, a, a fumes when, when you walk mm-hmm. on it. Who knew? Yeah. And the soybeans have replaced the, the petroleum grade on that. So it's like uh, when you get that new car smell or new carpet smell and, you know, when uh, soy soybeans are used in it, you don't quite get that smell. But that pungent smell. It's kind of offensive. <laughs> yeah. it's, in a way, it's offensive to some people that may have allergies or lung issues or asthma and such. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we'll figure out a new way to make this work. Yeah, and I think that the, the ink that they use to print the journal, I believe it's soy ink, so... Yes, it is, and uh, a lot of newspapers have switched over to soy ink. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just the the market out there is unbelievable. You don't don't realize where all we are. It's like uh, I go to the grocery store and I try to check my labels to see if soy's in in there because I'm like I want to support our industry mm-hmm. any way that I can. So, sweet baby Ray's my favorite honey mustard is. Number one is the soy mm-hmm. is the first ingredient. All right. Well, I appreciate you talking to me today. All right. Well, you have a good day, Kylie, and I look forward to seeing the article. All right. Thank you. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Egg Resources on September 8th Corn was up at $3.67. Wheat was down at $4.40. Milo was up at $4.07, and soybeans were up at $8.68. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you, and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our cattle added value issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes September 21st with a story from Jennifer Latsky. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks again to Alta Seeds for sponsoring this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line in its first ever Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day in July iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to sign up to catch the second installment of Sorghum Frontiers at hbj.com slash sorghumfrontiers and learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm.
Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail.